In this episode, I want to look at power, not just in politics, not just in business, not just in geopolitics, but in human nature itself. I want to understand how human relationships and power work and how you and I can retain, gain, and sustain power. Conversely, I also want to understand weakness as the opposite to power and how the powerful can exploit weakness and how you or I can avoid that predicament. Let's start with the science. In science, or in scientific study, physics, power, quite simply put, is the amount of energy transferred or converted per unit time. The unit of power is the watt, equal to one joule per second. In older, more traditional scientific studies, power is sometimes called activity. Power is a scalar quantity. Scalars are physical quantities that are unaffected by other changes. So, in physics, energy is the capacity for doing work. It may exist potentially in kinetic, thermal, electrical, chemical, nuclear, or other forms of energy. There is both heat and work at play here in forms of energy, so heat and work. Energy is the process, ultimately, of transfer from one body to another. So after it has been transferred, energy is always designated according to its nature. Hence, heat transferred may become thermal energy, while work done may manifest itself in the form of mechanical energy. So energy and power are two very important terms used widely in physics. They also happen to be particularly important traits exhibited in human behavior all throughout history and geopolitics. In my mind, power and energy are linked, just like it is in physics. The lack of power or a lack or a drop in energy are part of the same human dynamics in my view. So let's dive a little deeper into this human relationships and power. In human life, Power is also something to be considered as an entity or a force. It is there in everyday life. You may have power over, say, your toddler or a pet. In bigger terms, your employer may have power over you. Some government may have power over your employer. In life, we exchange this force, this power, with people whom we interact with. We create and destroy energy all the time. Not to get too metaphysical here, but power and energy, or the lack of, are a natural part of the universe. We willingly take and give power. We use energy. You could argue we are just energy ourselves anyway, and that ultimately translates to power or lack thereof. Now, in some situations, it's easy. You're in a work environment, say. You have a boss, you're hard. Say, even if you're six years old and you have a mother, you're a police officer with a gun versus someone without. Maybe you're a criminal with a knife. Power manifests in several ways. But power shifts just as energy shifts between one and another. As well as physics, it shifts between and among 
human relationships as well. Power, you see, is also the social production of an effect that determines the capacities, actions, beliefs, or conducts of humans on multiple fronts. Power does not just mean the threat or use of force, which is coercion, but it also can be exerted by other means, through institutions, through laws, orders, and other things like that, or even through influence. What I mean by that, as in the structural or institutional side, is that individuals in relation to another, i.e., for example, the distinguishing feature between, say, a monarch and a subject, an owner and a worker, a government and its citizens, and a mother and a child, is that it is institutional. There are multiple people involved in what I would call legitimizing that power. Now, there are other things, too, in that institution, and that could include things like culture, language, and all of these things, all of these behaviors and groups, they all live in some kind of hierarchy where one goes over the other or likes to think that it goes over the other. The rule of law, whatever the rule of law actually means, is also part of a power play ecosystem. Oftentimes, a so-called elite create and enforce and always enforce the rules on a broader society. It's part of control, which is a power play. You and I both have the agency of power, but at the same time, we both lack the agency of power. Did someone like Napoleon or Marcus Aurelius have power? Did Mandela have power? Did Catherine the Great have power? Did Gandhi have power? Did your unknown ancestor have power? Do any of the political and economic leaders of today have power over, say, you? Or is power just an illusion of your circumstances in your mind? Power, it is given and taken every second of every day. Just as I have the power to do this podcast, you have the power to listen, ignore, hate, or like it. There is agency on both sides. In my analysis, and I am not a sociologist or anything fancy, but in my view, there are three types of power dynamics at play. One is environmental, two, physical, and three, psychological, i.e. in your head. Let's dig into these three, starting with environmental. What I would include here is the world around you. The social structures, the cultural stuff, the religious fabric of existence and life that you see fit, or the lack thereof, the religious fabric of life. Included here could be things like the job you have, the house that you live in, the money that you may or may not have, whatever access to education you may have or not have, or as I would call education indoctrination, the access to fun activities that you could have, even random things like your ability to feel better about yourself, your health, etc. This is where you have the power and energy based on the foundations of your surrounding, be it a work environment, worship place or worship, a customer versus an employee, the wealth in your bank account, all these things give you power or take it away. If you have no savings versus savings for two years, if you have a restrictive religious situation, 
you could be even in prison, et cetera, et cetera. So that gives you or takes away the power. So moving on from environmental and onto the physical. This is the raw natural world, your biology, your geography, your physical and biological attribute. So you may be someone who suffered a stroke and maybe have lost some of your faculties. You may have a physical injury or cancer or something. You may have a nasty allergy to food. This situation lends itself to you gaining not power and energy. Someone with degraded mental faculties, say, as a result of a stroke, is wholly dependent on someone else. They lack a lot of power. Your physical abilities are not always able to allow you to wield power either. Raw power is also the physical, is actually the physical attributes, the physical power, the, 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 the someone slaps you and it hurts power that you can have over one or another person. It, that includes not just the physical fights, but your ability to defend yourself or attack someone else if they are trying to attack you. This is the ability to kill animals and people, the strength of your physical stamina. Can you run or outrun an enemy? Can you endure the physical hardship life throws at you? If you can, you have power over someone who cannot. And I've not even touched on things like gender, skin pigmentation, and other things. That covers environmental and physical. And now psychological. And this is what is happening in the mind. I already mentioned things like mental disabilities as a result of physical ones, such as stroke. But that need not be the case. You can have depression. You can have anxiety. You can be someone who lacks confidence and or is someone who is easily intimidated or led. Someone who has a raw deal with environmental and physical can still overcome life through mental strength. A poverty-stricken, disabled rickshaw puller has to endure hard manual labor, often in extreme heat or cold, for very little money. And I've personally seen this. I'm not sure I would have the mental ability to do this myself. And this is for life. It's not like a military rotation where you're in and out for months and you retire from the military. You live this forever. Now, that to me is real mental stamina. But is it power? Well, it is in the rickshaw puller's agency to have the ability to do the work and make his own money while his social and physical status and ability are otherwise compromised. So there is power, there is agency, but there is a lot of lack of power too. So the three things I've mentioned, psychological, physical, environmental, play heavy and loom large in power. In your own personal power and the power between countries, as well as power of individuals, such as world leaders or your employers. So power for me can come in many ways. A monarch has power by inheritance. So does a child of a millionaire. A CEO can have power by appointment or as a founder. And that leads me to the next point I want to make about power. Where does power stem from? I see three parts to this. 
So one is legitimacy, two is experience or respect, and three, the authority, i.e. the ability to reward or punish. So let's look at this in turn. Legitimate power comes from an elected, selected, or appointed person already in a position of authority and may be underpinned by stuff like social norms that is particular to that particular institution or a traditional culture. This kind of power gives means and ability to administer to another person, someone else, i.e. feelings of an obligation or the notion of responsibility into that other individual. So in a particular situation, for example, one can assume that, say, Narendra Modi, i.e. the Prime Minister of India, has legitimate power because he was elected by the majority of the people of India. Then he was what we call in English sworn into that role of Prime Minister by the President of India. The President of India, by the way, in turn, has his own process of appointment. So all these are institutions, and all these institutions are governed by national rules by people who claim to follow the rules. President Xi Jinping of China has legitimacy too. His legitimacy is selected by the Communist Party of China, also an institution of many people, and is legitimized by, among other things, by due process and history. A monarch claims leg legitimacy from bloodline and history. If you live in a country like the US or France, then you may think bloodlines are odd things, but really they are very real and more common than you can possibly imagine. But this is also a two-way street. Just because I may think Modi is legitimate, someone else may think he's not legitimate. So to keep the legitimacy alive, enough people need to be convinced using mental, physical, and environmental factors keep him and anyone else legitimate. That goes with all leaders all through history. It also goes for your employer and your company's CEO. Think about someone like your, say, your prime minister or your monarch or your dictator or your elected president or something like that. Their legitimacy rests on them being able to show the people that he or she is a leader, that he or she can run stuff, and that they can go win elections or sustain authority over a long period of time. As of June 2022, that's a tall order for a lot of people, for a lot of leaders, even dictators. Their legitimacy, say for example, an elected president, their legitimacy may be hanging on a thread or in tatters, but his institution, his or her institution, the institution of the office, the government, allows that individual the legitimacy to complete the term of office. Now, if you think about people like, say, former Libyan leader Colonel Gaddafi, his legitimacy ended in violence. He lost his security. He lost his narrative, his history ultimately his life. Same for Saddam Hussein, former leader of Iraq. Many leaders actually end up with this fate, and it's very commonplace in history. Experience and respect. Now, if you've ever met someone who has X number of years under their belt of experience, they have a ton of expertise. 
just life experience equals expertise. And experience gets you respect. Respect is something that makes you an expert. So it kind of goes round and round. A go-to person, both in society and in business. Now, these things do matter. In government, it matters too. People who command this kind of respect are hailed as advisors and given senior government jobs. If you can imagine the civil service or the deep state, they rely on these kind of people because they are the institution that then give the legitimacy, that then carry out the action that is essentially institutional experience. Now, moving on from that, the next thing I want to touch on is authority. So when you have power stemming from legitimacy and experience, authority is how you wield that experience or legitimacy. Sometimes authority is owned. Sometimes it is forced. Other times it is just given or inherited. Let's see. Elizabeth I of England had legitimacy, had, well, by the end of her reign, had experience as well, because she was a monarch for a long time. And she wielded authority. Elizabeth II, by contrast, has had legitimacy, has also had experience during a very lengthy reign, but lacks authority. Even if theoretically she can do anything as monarch, simply lacks authority because of institutional tradition. So, for a power, authority does matter. It matters because it is the method to the madness. It is also known, actually, as the yes-men, people who carry out the orders. Think of it like a police force or a military. Someone gives orders, others take orders, and executes on those orders. Now, think about a corporation. A CEO may have 10 direct reports. Each one has 10 direct reports themselves. And each one of those have 10 direct reports as well. And it goes down and down the bigger the organization. Unless all the people with the authority give the exact order that are then followed by every subordinate, it's a near impossible task. Too many breaks in the chain, and it is more like a corporate game of Chinese whispers. That is power. But as it goes down the food chain, the power diminishes. So in order to maintain the authority, somebody or people that you put in those positions need to follow the exact order that was given. Otherwise, authority is diminished by the time you get to the last person, i.e. the chap that actually has to do the job. In geopolitics, I see power in three broad categories. One, hard power. Two, soft power, and number three, smart power. Let's start with hard power. Hard power is the use of military and economic means to influence the behavior or interests of other political entities, including state and non-state actors. This particular form of political power is coercion, aggressive coercion, and is most effective when imposed by one political body on another, ideally from a bigger one to a lesser one. 
According to American political scientist Joseph Nye, hard power involves the ability to use the carrots and sticks of economic and military might to make others follow your will. Here, carrots can stand for inducements, such as reducing trade barriers, offering alliances, and military protection. On the other hand, sticks can be threats, including dodgy diplomacy, i.e. coercive diplomacy, the threat of military intervention, or implementing economic sanctions. Truth be told, the use of hard power is often tedious. Insurgencies against the external force can be prominent, but it's hard work. The United States has demonstrated a lot of hard power policy, say for example the Iraq war, Afghanistan war, and its continued war on drugs. In addition, I think economic sanctions are also part of this kind of hard power. But it's not just the West, of course. Russia's intervention in Ukraine, hard power. Saudi and Yemen, hard power. Sanctions by the US on Iran, hard power. Soft power is something else. This is the ability to kind of co-opt rather than slap around others. In other words, soft power involves shaping the preferences of others through things like being appealing and being attractive. A defining feature of this kind of soft power is that it is non-violent and really kind of sits in the background. You don't carry the big stick. You just have the illusion of carrying the big stick. The currency of soft power includes things like culture, political values, and foreign policies. Now, same guy, Joseph Nye, wrote, When one country gets another to do what it wants, then it might be called co-optive or soft power in contrast with the hard power or command power of ordering others to do what it wants. For me, sometimes as a concept, it can be difficult to distinguish between soft and hard power. For example, George W. Bush of the U.S. used the phrase, you are either with us or with the terrorists, or in other words, you are with us or against us. This was after the 9-11 terrorist attacks on the U.S. This was actually an exercise of hard power. Though military and economic force was not used to pressure other countries to join the coalition, a kind of force or a representational force was used. This kind of force threatens the freedom of other partners, forcing them to comply or risk being labeled evil and then being acted on. So this being the case, soft power is not always soft. It is very fungible somewhere in the middle. But in terms of soft power examples, things, other things are there. Things like diplomatic moves, treaties, industry, economic metrics, culture, like I said before. And culture includes things like movies, music, food. There are so many things. Bollywood, soft power. Hollywood, soft power. Beatles, soft power. The Great Wall of China, that tourist attraction, soft power. Then there is what Nye thinks are smarts or smart power. Smart power, according to him, refers to a combination of hard power and soft power strategies. But I don't think so. In my view, smart power is not hard power or soft power, nor even a combination of the two. So I disagree with nine this. This is not about ego. 
It's not about economics. It's about knowing your priorities, at least to me. In geopolitics, it's about putting your country first. Remember, as the leader of your country, as its CEO, your primary responsibility is the selfish self-interest of your own nation state, not another. Other countries will have their own CEO. Everything else is secondary. If you're a CEO, your competitor is your competitor, not necessarily your enemy. Smart power is to not get invaded. Smart power is playing to your strengths. Smart power is building economic wealth, getting healthcare, education, infrastructure, security for your population. Smart power thinks long-term. It's about working with big powers if you're a smaller power and the other way around if you're a big power. Smart power is knowing your limits, building alliances and proactively exporting your people and your culture. But alongside power lives weakness. In politics, in geopolitics, and in life, weakness can be scented and smelled from a distance. Humans have a knack for it. Weakness, like power, is an energy. When it's there, you know it's there. Those who can do, jump on it. If you are weak or show weakness, the, and I air quote, the strong, aka the powerful, the ones who can, will pounce. Weakness is not just the opposite of power or strong power. It is the opening gap power needs to be always filled. Weak countries get smashed by powerful ones. Ask Iraq. Weak employees get sidelined by powerful ones. Weak members of society get beaten by powerful ones. Weaker sports teams get beaten by more powerful ones. There are exceptions, absolutely. You'll get an underdog perform, but for the most part, it's not easy. The odds are stacked up against you. I find power fascinating, as I find weakness fascinating. In our daily lives, we need to rely, I think, on smart power. In the world of business, politics, and geopolitics, we need to build that smart power daily. Smart power allows you to work with your weaknesses. It allows you to fend off stronger powers. It allows you to be successful. Weakness without smarts is an opportunity for someone else. If you have a disability, mental or physical, you can still seek smart power to win. And you do need to win that game of power. Not ego. This is something else. This is power. This is a recipe for failure if all you're focused on is your ego. Smart power is about prudent survival. Put yourself first, your interests. You need to do that before you can even help other people in your family and friend circle. But what about seeking power yourself? Again, yes, we humans are built to seek power and scent weakness. But for most of us, Raw, hard physical power is no option. And in my case, or in many cases, we are disadvantaged because I am not physically strong enough to beat someone up. So we rely on soft power, but really it's about smart power. And it's within all of us and all our agencies within us to deliver 
that smart power. And we can all be powerful, not just us as individuals, but countries too. Anyhow, thank you for bearing with me for yet another episode. All the best, and we will connect next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.